Well, good morning. If you guys are doing good this morning, I am. So uh, we continue this series, Lost in Real Life, a six-week series we began last week. And Ryan spoke about happiness, which, of course, we all want, right? And then he gives me the topic of disappointment which, of course, is what we all don't want. So thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. I hope you're happy to be here. <laughs> but here we are in, in, in disappointment. And actually, in all seriousness, I wanted this topic. Because like many of you, I've gone through the struggles and the pain that comes sometimes in life, and I have seen God show up in powerful, life-shaping ways. And so this morning, I want to share from the scriptures, but also from my own personal experience, because I've seen God show up in my life very recently in the midst of heartache. And I know many of you have been through heartache. You, you might even be in it this morning. And I'll never forget when I heard this one guy say this. He said, you're either about to enter into a difficult season you're in the middle of a difficult season, or you're just coming out of one. And that pretty much sums up life, really. And, and even though I think most of us would agree that, that this is true, not, none of us particularly like it, including myself. And so when you think about your life in one way or another, I think all of us have probably experienced life taking an unwanted turn. And us left kind of feeling lost. Right, you're in that place and you kind of go, what do I do now? Or, or maybe even, what even can I do? Perhaps you wonder, is there a road that can lead you out of the pain? Or do they all just kind of lead to dead ends? And I know some of you this morning might be there right now. Maybe your career has taken a downward turn right, or gone south, or maybe a relationship in your life is crumbling or in crisis. Maybe you or, or someone you love has just received a report from the doctor that doesn't look good. Or maybe you're, you're dealing with anxiety or depression or an addiction that you can't shake no matter what you do, and it just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And you know what happens a lot of times when we're in those places in life, we come to the end of our rope, or we're just, you know, at a loss of what to do or where to look, All right, we're sucking air, and along comes a well-meaning Christian with well-meaning advice, and you know what they say? They say, hey, everything's going to be okay, God will never give you more than you can handle. No, that's not right, because <laughs> when I look at the Bible, that, that, that's actually not true. And people speak these things with such conviction that we just sort of assume they're like Bible verses, right? Or there's other examples, God helps those who help themselves, not in the Bible, by the way. Right? There's, there's the one that says, if God closes the door, he'll open a window. Well, if you're on the 13th floor, that's not good news. <laughs> and surely no one would say these kind of things without having backup, Right? I mean, those are big statements about God and how life works. But no, they do. I mean, I, I have a son who's autistic, and my wife and I have heard these kinds of things many times. So I, I speak from personal experience. And so it, it kind of makes me wonder, the whole God will give you, you know, won't give you more than you can handle, doesn't it make you wonder where, where, where do people get this from? Right, why do people 
claim it as if it's a Bible verse and speak it as though it's true. And I happen to think that it comes from a misunderstanding of a really important verse in the New Testament. In a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says this. He says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out. So this text is an important text when it comes to temptation. And it tells us that, yeah, God won't let us be in a temptation that we that there's too much for us to bear. There'll always be a way out. But this text is not actually talking about God not giving us more than we can handle when it comes to life itself. The truth of the matter is this. Trials will come into our lives. And sometimes, sometimes, they are more than we can handle. Jesus said these words in John 16. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But then he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. I mean, it's right there spelled out clear as day. The troubles in this life will come. And sometimes they will be more than we can handle. So the question that emerges before us is this. What do we do when we find ourselves lost in the trials of life? What directions do we take from God? When, let's just be honest, sometimes in those moments of pain and heartache, sometimes in those moments of, of, of suffering or tribulation or trial, or we just are, are feeling disappointed, sometimes in those moments it seems like God is furthest away. Sometimes when, when we're really struggling with something, it's also tempting to think that the pain we're going through is meaningless. But when we look at the scriptures, pain is not meaningless. Trials, heartache, suffering, tribulations, they're not meaningless. And I want to look deeper at, at this because, because all the tribulations that you've either been through or you're in or you will go through, there is a purpose in them when it comes to the life of faith. One of the key passages around this to, to understanding what, uh, I'm going to generally use this word, suffering does in our lives is in Romans. And if you know anything about Romans, Romans is written by this guy named the Apostle Paul, of course inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, and many say that Romans is like Paul's magnus opus, right? It's, his, it's like greatest or, or at least most thorough theological work. I mean, Romans is this dense book that has amazing things in it. And, and of course, Paul doesn't leave us hanging on suffering and the point of it, the purpose of it in the life of faith. So Romans 5 is where we pick up. And here's what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Though, or sorry, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Pause there, right? He's coming out of this four chapters of talking about faith and what is faith and, and how we experience faith by grace. He's defining, essentially, the Christian faith. And he says, you know, in light of that, we have this peace through God. And then verse 3 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, which is kind of a bizarre verse. Another translation says, we boast in our sufferings or we exalt in our sufferings. We'll talk about that in a minute. Because we know that suffering, here it is, listen to this, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame, or hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given to us. I love this text, and I love what it tells us about this whole conversation about suffering. Notice the word produce. I mean, I think of produce, comes to mind, right? Grocery store produce. You have these seeds, and from the seeds comes the fruit, right? We all know this. The seed produces the fruit. And when you think of our spiritual lives, suffering is the seed that is planted. And Paul says here that what is produced in our lives, the fruit, are three things, perseverance, character, and hope. And remember, Paul, as we understand in the Bible, he's not some spectator speaking about suffering as if he's never been through it. He's a fellow sufferer. He's gone through extraordinary suffering, trials, pain, heartache, and he had to persevere or endure. And so from that place, he reminds us that all of this is not meaningless. In fact, he's not saying that he boasts in the suffering itself, right? No one would, but rather in what God does in the midst of it. So first, we come to this word perseverance. And perseverance is, is necessary when we say, you know, when we think about what we care about, right? When that gets tested. I mean, fill in the blank about what you care about, this cause or that person or this God And the reality is, tests will come into your lives. And when they do, we will discover how much we really care about something or someone. Will we persevere when things get hard? See, suffering provides a test, and we're going to either fail the test or pass the test. You see, if we fail the test, the result will be that we simply gave up because it got too hard. But if we pass the test, what we will see is perseverance, that that we stuck it out even when it was hard. Because when your faith gets tested, it produces perseverance. Some of you may have heard of a guy named Thomas Merton. He, He was one of the greatest 20th century spiritual writers, a Catholic monk, wrote about 70 books or so, and and Merton writes in his autobiography about his dad. And when his dad was on his deathbed, he, he, he was very close to his dad, and his dad had a brain tumor, and he suffered a long and miserable death. And ironically, about w- w- within less than two years after his dad died, doctors discovered the surgery that could actually remove the kind of tumor that he had that would have saved his life. And sadly, that didn't happen for him, of course, He suffered badly, and Merton reflects on how this suffering impacted his dad's spiritual life, and as he he saw the best of his father emerge in the midst of the worst period of his life, and he writes about this, he was amazed, he says, at how the soul not only can tolerate suffering, but can become stronger. He wrote this specifically, quote, about our soul and suffering, souls are like athletes, that need opponents worthy of them. If they are to be tried and extended and pushed to the full use of their powers and rewarded according to their capacity. And then Merton goes on to say, as he watched his father suffer, my father was in a fight with this tumor and none of us understood the battle. We thought 
he was done for, but it was making him great. And I think God was already weighing out to him, he says, the weight of reality that was to be his reward. And so he was eligible for this reward, and his struggle was authentic and not wasted or lost or thrown away. And Paul echoes in 1 Corinthians 9 the sentiment and words of Merton when he says this, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it, get this, we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Perseverance, we see it again. And suffering is the seed that produces perseverance. It provides followers of Jesus the opportunity to fight for what we believe in. To not give up when it gets hard to endure. To put our faith not just in word, but in action. Perseverance. And then Romans 5 continues, and it shows us how suffering not only produces perseverance, but it produces character. And for me, another word that helps me understand character is the word substance. When I hear substance, it helps character make a little more sense, because substance is about the core. It's about the stuff inside, not the external packaging. For instance, you look at a piece of coal, I think this is right, and on the outside you see the char, the black, the ashy stuff. But when you get to the core, that's actually where you find the shimmering diamond. The diamond is the core. It's the substance. It's the stuff inside. And so think of character like this. What is your core? I mean, what is the substance that you are made of? Or another way to put it would be like this. Is our substance defined more by purity or by contamination? And I believe many of us are are on this journey where we care about character. We want to be purified by God or or refined, you could say. We long at our core to become Christ-like. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to become a Christian, right, like Christ And we see a few places in the Bible where the Bible uses this idea of gold. And what do you do to purify gold? You put it in what? The fire. Gold experts out there. There's none of you, right? And and, and that's how you rid gold of its impurities. I know nothing of this. I just read that on the internet. So, you know, I'm with you. But, But first Peter says this. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So what we're really longing for is to be refined, for our character to be made pure. Because when your core is refined... It produces character. And so when Romans tells us, Romans 5, that suffering produces character, it's hitting on this idea of being refined in the fire. And then we ask, okay, how does, how does suffering refine us? Well, I think simply put, here's one of the things that suffering does. It takes away from us the things that we hold on to so tightly. 
so tightly that we have elevated these things at times above our desire and our devotion to God. And in so doing, we have contaminated these things that we hold on to, and they become more precious to us than God himself. Suffering produces character because suffering takes things away that we feel we need more than we need God. Now, I want to share for a few minutes on some of my personal journey because for me, the last three years, I've been, I've been in a trial. Sherry and I have been in a trial. And um, it started three years ago. You know, our, our youngest son, Holden, some of you know this story, but we, um, we had Holden, and he was a healthy, typical kid, right? And uh, things were developing normal, right? He was textbook normal. We were emotionally connected to him. He, uh, he laughed and played with us. He responded to his name. I mean, I remember when he was, I don't know, 16 months old or something, we'd walk around the block, and he'd sort of veer off the sidewalk toward the road, and we'd say, hold and get back on the sidewalk, and he would just respond, and, and he would get back on the sidewalk. I mean, he used to kiss us and hug us. He'd laugh and, and just be, like, fun-loving. And then at 18 months old, he started regressing, And we didn't really know what was happening, but he just sort of started retreating into himself. He started disconnecting from us and sort of going into his own world. He would push us away. He stopped making eye contact with us. He wouldn't look us in the eyes. And then we noticed this severe anxiety emerge. And, I mean, he was so calm before, and then all of a sudden this this anxiety had would just send him spiraling downward. And it was at two years old when... After months of noticing these things, that Holden was officially diagnosed with autism. And that was, of course, hard. It, it, it sent our family into a tailspin and sometimes into despair. And in that first year, there was sorrow and there was tears and um, just confusion, grieving. And we missed Holden. We, we, were, we were grappling with all of this, with, with all the implications of, of what it all meant for our lives, and, and we were battling the sadness that we were in, right? That, that, that every day was, was starting to look different, right? We couldn't reach him anymore. And, and then the, the, the next kind of couple years unfolded, he was like three to five, and, and that's kind of what we're in now. He just turned five, and, and there's been a whole new level of, of struggle, and, and, and a lot of it has to do with the physical and emotional challenges that, that come with autism. And, and for Holden, he's, uh, he's severely autistic, or he's severely uh, anxious as well as well as autistic. And, and so like daily things that, that are so simple, hey, um, let's change your diaper. Hey, let's go to the sink and wash your hands. Hey, let's make a quick stop at the grocery store. Or well, we have to go to the doctor's office. All that stuff is just so complicated and it's added immense anxiety and stress to the life of our family. And, and you know, for Holden, it's like the sensation of water bothers him. And the, the lights at the grocery store overstimulate him. And the doctor's office, I mean, terrifies him. And on and on these things go, and, and it's put limitations on our family uh, and what we're able to do, as you could imagine. And, and we sit back and we, and we go, of course, as any parent would do, we would do anything for Holden. We love him to pieces, right? And we're going to continue in the journey with him to nth degree to do everything we can to help him. But the reality is it, it doesn't change the difficult circumstances that we are in. 
right, that we have to deal with from our day-to-day, for our day-to-day lives. And, and so Sherry and I, we're, 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 you know, we've journeyed through this, this loss of, of having this son that was typical and, and open and engaging, right, to now he's closed off and withdrawn. We're trying to figure all that out with him and how do we relate to him and, how, you know, all that. And, and then we, we we're in the struggles of everyday life now, too, where, where even one of the greatest heartaches, again, like any parent, when you say, I love you to your kid, you want him to say those four words back to you. I love you, too. And Holden's never said that. He's five years old, and he's never hugged us. And we don't even know when we say, I love you, or, or even when we hug him, if he gets that, I mean, understands it, we don't know. And then you have Hudson, our, our oldest son, who's six and a half, who it's been hard for, too, because, you know, there, there's been moments where Hudson has, has come to mom and dad, and in tears, he said, why doesn't Holden like me? Or, um, mm, uh, why doesn't Holden play with me? Right, and that's hard. So we're all in it, and, and we're in the fire, right? We're, we're right in the middle of it, and it's confusing and painful, and it's hard, and it's not looking like it's going to change at this point. I mean, we pray for it to change, but it's not looking like that way. And, and yet I say in, in, in all that, in sometimes the guttural pain of all that, right, we see God. We see God working in us, refining us like we've never seen before. And, and we're grateful for it, right? We, we want it to get easier, no doubt. Anybody would. But we're grateful for it because we see God refining us all. And as, and as parents, you love your kid even when they can't give anything back, even when they're unable to reciprocate. And we stand by Holden. And our love for him, I want to say, is the same, but it's greater now than, than when he was 12 months or, or whatever. And our devotion to him, man, is stronger than ever. And similarly, I think God wants the same devotion and love for us. That even when we aren't getting what we want from him, that our love still burns for him. Hudson said to Sherry last night, Sherry was kind of a, having a, a sad moment and an attempt to kind of express his devotion. He said, Mom, he said, I'll never divorce you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was kind of saying like, yeah, no matter what we go through, Mom, I'm in it with you. And I was like, man, you can't even say it any better. It doesn't even make sense, but you can't even say it any better, right? <laughs> And in essence, God has brought me to this place, once again, of not only clinging to him more than anything else in this life, but he's also brought me to a place of trusting him, that no matter what he might take away or what he gives, he is still God, he is still good, he can still be trusted, and I will still follow him no matter what. And this is how suffering produces character. This is a glimpse into this idea that God is at work in the pain and heartache of our lives. I mean, the character that Romans is talking about is when that type of core in your life and in in your life and in mine, when, when the core stands by God, whether you're experiencing blessing or whether you're experiencing adversity. Perseverance, character. And then thirdly, Paul says, suffering produces hope. And Romans 5 captures what all of us, I think, can grab onto, especially when we're in the trials 
of life, the, the pain, the, the heartache. And, and, and in one translation, here's how Paul writes at New Living Translation, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop perseverance, and perseverance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, this hope, will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Hope, hope in Christ is ultimately about God delivering us. In our natural earthly minds, I mean, here's how we, we tend to think. We, we tend to think hope as, as um, we think of hope as things getting better in this life, right? Our health gets better, our kids get better, our marriage gets better, right? We put our hope, our job maybe gets better. We put our hope in that. But, but spiritual hope really is about pointing us toward hope in Christ. Ultimately, those things in this life, here's the hard truth, might not get better. But, but God's promise is that one day he will deliver us from these earthly sorrows and limitations. One day he will redeem us. He will save us. He will, he, he will bring us into eternity so that we will have fellowship and peace and joy forever. I love how Revelation 21 says it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes one day, right? And there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things will be gone forever. This is the hope, ultimately, that Paul is talking about. When we suffer and we get closer to the true God, not, not closer to the perfect life we think God wants us to have, or, or not closer to all the gifts that we think you know, God you know, needs to bless us with. Not God on our terms, but God on his terms. It is only then when we can grasp the hope as described in the pages of this book. The hope in Jesus, the hope in him, who will one day wipe away every tear and eliminate every sorrow, take away all the pain, offer his glory, offer his love and fullness, offer his everything to us. Because what's sometimes hard for us to grasp naturally so is, is that the more this, in this life that things get stripped away, the more that our plans get derailed, the more that we realize our limitations and the closer we get to recognizing the God described in these pages the more we get swept up into this desire to be with Jesus. I love how Paul says it in one place. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, yeah, in this life, he wanted to live so closely connected to Jesus. But the thing he longed for is that one day when death comes, man, there's going to be such gain. I can't even imagine because I can be with Jesus I mean, that's true hope. That, that's hope not in this earthly life, but hope in eternity with Jesus. I mean, for us, do we hope our son holding gets better? Absolutely. We pray for it. We long for it. We're in the pain of it not happening. But ultimately, our hope is not in this life that things would get better ultimately. Because that's not promised to us. Our hope is in the power of Jesus to forgive us, to redeem us, to save us, to deliver us. I mean, that's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope we can count on. We can't count on this life for sure, 100% getting better, but we can put our hope in the life to come, and we can count on that 100%, and that's the, that's the promise of the Bible. See, our hope in this world 
grows dimmer, but, but our hope in Jesus can burn brighter at the same time. So when you think about perseverance and character and hope, I mean, we all want these attributes. We want them alive in our life. I mean, yeah, we wish they would come easier through different, simpler, easier avenues. But Romans 5 reminds us to turn our hearts and minds to reflect not simply on what we lose, which tends to be how we think about it, but through suffering to reflect on what we gain. And what we gain is so valuable, so essential to the depth and the authenticity in our relationship with God and really in what it means to become human. See, the question, the question is not, is suffering worth it? The question is, will we rise up? Will we rise up to the, to, to, to the, rise to the occasion to trust in God that his purpose will be completed and that he is going to do a great work in our lives if we follow him through the good, but also in the bad. I mean, I know that some of you in this room are, are probably in it right now, and I want to call the band up to play a final song. I know that, that some of you are in it. And if I could just say one thing to you is, is that, that God cares about you and has great compassion for you, and that he promises he will never leave you he will never forsake you. That he promises there is purpose. There is purpose. It is not meaningless in your trial, in your pain, in your disappointment with how life has turned out at this point. I mean, I love the story of Paul in Corinthians where he says, I have a thorn in my flesh. And we don't know what the thorn is. Scholars have speculated for years. And Paul prays three times. This isn't like three like brief prayers he throws up in his bedroom. These are like three seasons of prayer. And he says, God, take this thorn away. And for reasons we don't fully understand, God doesn't. And Paul carries on in life. And he has this thorn, whatever it might be, this burden, this, this, this suffering, this pain. And I love the words of God that he says to Paul. He says this. You might be familiar. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And for those of you who are in it right now and you feel weak and you feel burdened and it's more than you can handle, what God wants to say to you is the same thing he said to Paul, that his grace is sufficient. And I feel that grace in my life now. And I can't fully explain it, but it's real. And I don't know what it's like to, to go through something, and, and I don't want to even imagine what it's like, and not have God's grace and God's power and God's strength and God's goodness and God's perspective and, and the reality that there is purpose, that this is not meaningless pain, that God wants to do something. And we don't always get to know what exactly he's doing, but what we do get to choose is how we posture ourselves before him. And how we receive the way that he is working in our lives and speaking to us and shaping us and changing us. And if you're not in it right now, be joyful, be grateful. But it will come. The trials will come. The pain will come. I know that's not what we all want to hear, but it's coming. Because that's life. And I would say to you, prepare the way. So that when you get to that point in that trial that you have developed character along the way so that you can stand strong and stand firm 
so that you can cling to God and know that he can be trusted. Because his grace for you too is sufficient. His power is made perfect in your weakness. I invite you to pray with me for a moment. Father, I, I pause and I pray for every person here. The stuff of life, the struggle, the pain, the disappointment, it's so real. And God, whether we're in it right now or, or not, God, we're reminded today that there is purpose. We're reminded today that your grace is sufficient for us and when we are weak and burdened and when it's confusing and we don't know why it's happening and we sort of even wonder sometimes why God, we might even doubt you, we might even wonder where you are. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that in the hardest things of life, you become so real. That your presence shows up in almost a tangible kind of way. So, God, I ask you for your healing power. I ask you for your grace to be poured over in this place. That people who especially are weak and in need right now, that you would meet them in that place. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.